If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to another expert episode of the podcast. Today, I am joined by Connor Beaton of Man Talks, which you probably recognize from Instagram. Also, fun fact, his amazing wife is Vienna Farron, who wrote The Origins of You. I had her on the podcast. They're obviously a very impressive power couple in this space, but Connor and I talk about men and the struggles that men face, a lot of the stereotypes that we have around men and the ones that are true and why are they true. And he's really dedicated his life to helping men build community, um, learn how to not suppress what's going on with them. But I just, I really love his approach, and I felt like I could talk to him for another couple hours. He just had so much great information, and the studies that he shared were so informative. I want to just put a disclaimer on this episode. We're talking about the struggles that men go through and why it might appear in some ways that they are able to get over heartbreak easier and all of that stuff. I just want to make sure that I say that talking about the struggles of men does not discount the struggles of women. Breakups are hard for everyone. Um, Obviously, women have a lot of challenges in this world that men do not. So I just want to make sure that I'm saying that loud and clear that me, you know, having an episode talking about what men go through is for educational purposes. It's to help men out there better learn about themselves and hopefully better connect. And also I'm hoping that women listen to this as well and get a better perspective on what men, what goes on in men's heads. But yes, I'm not trying to invalidate or diminish any issues that or struggles that women deal with as well. So I hope everyone enjoys this episode and goes and checks out Connor's work. He's just such an impressive person. And I feel really grateful that we were able to have him on. Welcome Connor to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. It is a huge honor to have you on the show today. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. I was just telling you before we started recording, but I actually, my platform, Breakup Bestie, used to be only for women. And I would say that in my bio, everything I talked about, I would be using pronouns around it. And ultimately, I think a couple of years ago, I started getting messages from men is like, why is this only for women? I'm going through a breakup. I need help. And it got to the point where I was like, why am I just pigeonholing this so much? There are so many men that go through breakups that don't necessarily have a place to go. So I've really opened that up. And then over the course of that, have gotten so many messages from men. I always say most of my private coaching clients are men that are going through breakups. And so now I I really try to use the platform as well to educate people on men's side of heartbreak and kind of trying to squash some of those stereotypes. And your name has come up in messages quite quite often. So I'm really happy to have you on. And on a more personal level, I have a son who's almost two and I have twin boys on the way. So my life is like raising little little men. And I've just loved, you know, researching you for for this interview. And I feel like I'm learning so much too with, you know, how to raise better sons. 
Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting narratives around men and breakup, which I'm sure we'll get into, but congrats on having boys. My boy is two and a half and um, he's the greatest joy of my life, the greatest gift. He's just such a, a pleasure and a treat. And he is a savage maniac. Yeah. <laughs> we have similar absolute, boys. Yeah. Ballistic missile of a human being. It's just like, man, oh man, how can you be so sweet and so loving and then literally drive your truck into my brand new walls of my house, you know, like, yep. <laughs> yep. But- we were on vacation two weeks ago and we were in the ER for an injury. It's not our first uh-huh. ER trip with him. So I can definitely relate, but I would love to hear how you got started in this kind of work. And what was the turning point for you to decide to start talking about this? Yeah. I mean, the, the short version of it is that I, I bottomed out. I hit rock bottom. I'd been lying to a lot of people in my life. I had been cheating. I'd been battling addictions and no one really knew the severity and the extent of them. And when I hit rock bottom, two things happened. One, I I found a solid mentor who had already been in my life. He was in his early seventies. He's since passed. And um, I ended up spending about two and a half years mentoring with him and apprenticing with him, learning different therapeutic modalities, Jungian psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, parts of Gestalt therapy and uh, Zen and Buddhism. And then the other thing that happened was I, I started talking to the men in my life and I just started talking to everybody, telling them what had happened, you know, like what was actually going on. Cause part of my bottoming out was living out of the back of my car for a few weeks. I had destroyed a relationship that I really cared about, which might sound counterintuitive to the fact that I was being unfaithful. And it was devastating, you know, and it was the amount of shame that I had was crippling in a lot of ways. And I didn't want people to know. And so when I started to reconnect with people in my life after, you know, what I, in my book, I wrote a book called Men's Work. And in the book, I write a little bit about this story and staying in what I called Chateau Walmart because I parked my car (laughs) in Walmart parking lots and slept in them. I started talking to some of the men in my life and it became very clear very quickly that we, almost all the men in my life, we had very good, robust surface level relationships and they all lacked depth. And so the first conversation that opened that up was I was talking to a buddy of mine that I had gone to university with and told him everything that had been going on. And, um, you know, when that, after I sort of verbally vomited everything out at him, he proceeded to tell me that he had tried to take his own life about six weeks before. And it really, uh, it really sort of blew me open. And, and then I started to see this reoccurring pattern in a lot of my male relationships where when I would open up and just talk about the real shit that I had been struggling with. I was met with guys opening up about financial problems, health problems, issues with their parents, parents that were dying that I didn't even know about, you know, marital issues, kids that were sick, businesses that were falling apart. And I really, it kind of put me into this mode where I wanted to change the way that we as men do male friendships, because I think that a lot of men are struggling and suffering and a lot of men's families and relationships and lives are struggling because they just, they have these kind of pseudo relationships with other men in their life. And when, you know, we're kind of taught, this is the last thing I'll say, but we're kind of taught two things that I've written about. One is the one rule of men, which is very similar to fight club, which is if, you know, don't talk about fight club. But the one rule of men is you don't talk about what it's like to be a man who's struggling or suffering. And the other thing is that we are indirectly taught, in my belief, a lot of men are indirectly taught that there's strength in suppression. So the more that you can push it down and not feel it and not deal with it and avoid with, you know, avoid whatever it is that you're actually struggling with, the stronger and more man you are, which is nonsense. And every single man will at some point in his life realize that that's just not working. And, you know, some will come to realize it sooner than later. And some will have, you know, pretty significant consequences like, like myself. So that was sort of the, the origin story, I guess you could say. 
Yeah, that's really powerful. And that's one of my first questions that I had for you was the strength and suppression that I I see that you talk about a lot. And do you think that's something that comes from these like you shared in your TED talk about your example of singing the national anthem at your school Mm. and getting called, I, from what I remember getting called like a little bitch for singing and like men aren't supposed to do that. Do you think most men have these like concrete examples of being told not to show that, not to do that, not to express that way? Or is it something that is more of just a pervasive cultural thing? I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword. I think sometimes there's direct things that a young boy, a young man will go through and hear. But on the other side of it, like I, I usually say that there's a blessing and a curse that all men carry, which is that you can you can hide your suffering. You can hide that you're hurting, you know, and almost no one will know. And there are times in our culture and in our society where we actually ask men to do that. You know, we actually ask men and need men, and it's a very beneficial thing that men can do, which is sort of march forward and get shit done or protect or serve in some way, shape or form and sort of not separate from what they're feeling, but sequester that away for a period of time so that they can go and do what needs to be done. And so, you know, is a benefit to it. So I don't want to make it sound like it's this big, terrible monster, you know, a lot of I mean, pretty much all societies have benefited from men who have been able to do this. But I think for a large part that it can get rampantly out of control. And a lot of men will have grown up in environments where that is the pervasive narrative, right? You know, men don't cry, you know, big boys don't cry, like these types of stories. It's still very popular. Like I, I was at a park two weeks ago with my son and there's these two guys, two older men, older than me, I'm almost 40. They were probably in their late 40s, early 50s, sitting on the bench. And their their sons were in the park and they were running around. And the one boy was starting to, you know, get a like a little whiny and he was complaining. And, you know, it was really shocking because the the dad was like, you know, stop complaining or I'll give you something to complain about, you know, basically. And then, you know, the kid kept playing and then came back. And then the dad was like, you know, stop being a little bitch, basically, to to his son. And I was like, wow, that's really, you know, that it's kind of shocking because I think in my world now that, you know, none of the men that I know treat their sons like that. And yet I think it's still very commonplace that a lot of men have grown up in the generations preceding something like World War II, where, you know, millions of men literally went off and had to suppress what they were experiencing and had to kind of quote unquote man up in order to survive, in order to deal with the trauma of war and that kind of stuff. And so I, I think it's a little bit complex. You know, I think sometimes we we simplify it in our culture and say, you know, men should just talk more when there's actually good data that shows that when men do talk, they're sometimes very misunderstood, especially by the therapeutic community. So anyway, that's a little bit of a different tangent. Yeah, no, that's very interesting and actually reminds me. So when my husband and I found out we were having twins, which was not a planned thing, it was a very (laughs) shocking surprise. (laughs) Just watching the way that we dealt with it over the next couple of weeks was very interesting to me. And finally, I was like, wow, this is I was actually venting to a friend of mine and saying, like, I don't feel like Luke is like really in this with me. And she's like, I think he's just processing it in a different way. But we were working Mm -hmm. on a house edition. He was like, I have to get this done now and just like went forward and doing tasks around the house, getting stuff done. And I took a very different approach, but it is true. It's like we were both dealing with it in in our own way. And that's not to say my husband doesn't talk about his feelings, but it's just we have different ways of moving those feelings out of our body, I guess. I mean, you talked about this through your story, but what are some of the ways that it shows up when men who have really just suppressed things for most of their life, it kind of comes to this boiling point. In what kind of ways can that show up? Yeah. I mean, there's very real, like, you know, I think the clinical term is maladaptive. There's very real maladaptive coping mechanisms that'll start to form, you know, drinking more than normal, you know, smoking weed every single day, 
using porn, isolating a lot. Isolation is a very comfortable tactic that a lot of men just default on. You know, I think to no fault of our own, I, you know, I think it is one of the different, the differentiating factors sometimes between men and women is that men have a higher predilection towards complete isolation when things start to go awry and when their life is overly stressful. And so, yeah, I, I think those are some of the tools, I guess you could say, but yeah. some of the maladaptive mechanisms that guys will use, lying, cheating, you know, those types of things. And then, you know, there's this, there's sort of like the more socially acceptable versions, which is excessive work, you know, mm-hmm. or excessive working out or, you know, the the sort of like high octane, super dangerous sports, right? Running like wild ultra marathons or, you know, do it like putting on the, the skydiving suits and like jumping yeah. off the cliffs and stuff like that because you need to escape. And so, you know, not to say that you can't do those things in a healthy way. That's, I'm not saying that, right? That's, that's not what I'm saying, but those are some of the ways that guys will, will tend to deal with it. Yeah. I wanted to circle back to this part of your story, but you had briefly touched on a relationship that meant a lot to you that you cheated in. And Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people, I have people in my life that I know that have done that, but I think it's like a very misunderstood thing. People think if you cheat, you don't care. The other person wasn't worth it to you. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about that. Could you walk through maybe your experience on that? Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting because since my I wrote about my infidelity in that relationship in my book, and it's been interesting to see how many men have now come out. You know, I've worked with a lot of men over the last decade around infidelity, but now specifically <laughs> after after the book's out, you know, women are sending their their husbands and boyfriends to me, and guys are just finding me. But you know, for me infidelity started young. I had cheated in most of my relationships and, you know, my first, my first relationship in high school, I was cheated on. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty heartbreaking. I think I was a pretty, you know, deep feeling young man. And that was pretty devastating. And that coupled with this very strange concoction or cocktail of, kind of being average at most things. I wasn't really great at sports. I was sort of decent at hockey. You know, I was pretty shit academically. I didn't really have a lot of direction in my life early on, but I got a lot of attention from women. And I started to realize that that was something that I was quote unquote good at. And that became part of the, the like pull was I can get a lot of attention from women. And because I lacked a deeper sense of self-worth as a young man, that became an externalized way for me to feel valuable, you know, to get worth as a man is like, well, if I can get a woman's attention, if I can get her validation, if I can get her to like me, want me, you know, et cetera, then I feel like I have a little bit more worth and value. And so it was a couple of things like the relationship, you know, there was some pieces that were struggling within the relationship. There were some pieces that were phenomenal. I think, you know, we were pretty young and I had a lot of shame around my own like sexual energy, I guess is the way we could call it. You know, I had a lot of sexual energy as a young man and I didn't really know what to do with all of it. And I didn't know how to have conversations in my relationship with her about what I wanted and what I wanted to explore. And so I kind of divided, I ended up splitting it off. And in the clinical world, there's something called the and some people aren't going to like this, but there's some there's something called the Madonna whore complex, which a lot of men have, which is that they will they'll separate women into women that they want to love and admire and respect and appreciate, and women that they just want to express themselves sexually. Mm-hmm. And this is the case I've come to find with a lot of men that I've worked with over the years is that this split happens somewhere in their life. And there's women that they fall in love with and they start to treat a very specific way, which sometimes mean that means that they don't bring their sort of primal sexual energy into the relationship or a more robust, more transparent, more authentic version of what they want to explore sexually, whatever that might look like. 
And so what ends up happening is that they bring that out of the relationship. They don't want to Mm -hmm. disturb the relationship. They don't want to hurt their partner. They don't want to put a burden or, or a strain on the relationship. So they end up bringing that outside of the relationship. And so part of my work after that was recognizing that I didn't know how to bring a more full, authentic, real version of myself to a woman that I had actually separated parts of myself and was getting my needs met through being in relationship with different women. And so that's a big part of what my experience was. I think it's a big part of what a lot of men experience. And I think, you know, infidelity will oftentimes highlight something that's happening and, and missing within the relationship that, that can be brought in. And it's also highlighting something that is happening in both of the individuals you know, both myself and my partner at the time were struggling to communicate certain things. You know, we were Mm -hmm. struggling to talk about certain things and address certain things. And that can just create the strain in the relationship where something has to give eventually. So, and I'm not advocating for them just, you know, before I say what I'm about to say, but I, I find that a lot of infidelities can actually shed light on something that the relationship actually needs in order to thrive. And it, that's a very hard thing for us to hear, you know, when we're in the midst of just finding out that, you know, our partner has been unfaithful or, you know, we've been unfaithful and we have this tremendous amount of shame and guilt. And like, like, you know, I have a lot of men that reach out, have reached out over the years and say, like, I've had an affair and I actually have no idea why. Like, I just don't, I, I can't figure it out. And so part of it is really understanding what's happening in your relationship and what's happening within you as an individual, as a man that's causing you to seek this other attention outside of the relationship. So yeah, that's, that's a couple of pieces. Maybe I'll just pause there. Yeah, no, I think that's very powerful to hear. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of, you know, they don't use like the clinical term of it, but I've, you know, I feel like I've heard that over the years of like, there are certain women that men will fall in love with and certain, you know, ones that they are more just attracted to sexually. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I wanted to bring it back to this idea of community, which we've kind of touched on. Is there anything to that? Because I'm just thinking of like the conversations that I have about my relationship with friends and how we like we are pretty up to date on it. Not like I'm bad mouthing my husband, but I'm saying, hey, we're having this issue. We have this like this argument, this is what's going on. And so I feel like it's a lot easier to process things as they're happening. Is there anything with that in the fact that men maybe don't talk about their relationships with friends? And so they can't even really, I don't know, see if something's wrong is going on, or I could be wrong. And maybe men do talk about relationships. But to me, that seems my experience is like women talk about them a lot and get real time feedback and men seem to keep it a little bit more isolated. Yeah, I'd say as a general statement, that's probably true. A lot of the guys, like, here's what I'll say. Most men have not had very real, transparent conversations with other men about sex. Most of the time when men are talking about sex, it's talking about accolades and conquests and, you know, wild stories, whether those are like, you know, good, bad or ugly. But it's not talking about, hey, you know, my girlfriend and I have been together for three years and we haven't had sex in the last seven months, you know, and I don't know how to handle that. And I don't really know what's going on. And, you know, can I ask you about that? Or, you know, that's just not the normal conversation that most men have. Yeah. And so what can happen is that a lot of men will get into this mindset, especially if there's something going on in the relationship that's that's problematic right there's sexual disconnection or you know one of the most common ones within a relationship is that there's just a difference of sex drive right that one partner has a higher sex drive than the other and it's a very challenging thing for a couple to navigate and so what you know what will happen is that a lot of men either won't talk about that or they'll just complain about it you know so it's not actually a conversation it's just more like ah oh, she doesn't want to have sex as much as i do or ah oh, she just always wants sex you know and i you know and i just like relax a little bit right so it's less about a transparent authentic and sort of open dialogue back and forth okay. with the other man 
And it's either more of, I don't want to talk about this because I don't want you to think poorly of me as a husband or as a boyfriend or, you know, her or the relationship, or it's just straight complaints because they're so tired of what's happening in the dynamic. So I think that's where it's, I think that's where men and women have very different conversations because women are, you know, more prone to just opening up and being like, this is what's happening and this is what we're struggling with. And I'm not sure what to do about it. And have you handled that? You know, how have you guys addressed it? Whereas I think that within male culture and friendships has, I think it's starting to make a resurgence for sure. That's what I'll say in some circles. Okay. (laughs) This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, in the work that you've done in helping men build this community, I've been in AA for like over 10 years and have always gone to mixed meetings. So I feel like I've really got to witness like really beautiful male community and like very deep conversations and connections. But I, and I always think like, man, I just wish everyone could experience something like that. But have you found that that's something people are really craving or is it something that like most men could do without, you know, if if that makes sense? Totally. No, it's, I think it's something that a lot of men don't know they're missing out on until they get it and until they see it and they experience it firsthand. And, you know, I think we've kind of, I think socially and culturally, we've kind of done ourselves a disservice of acting like or pretending like men and women are exactly the same, you know, psychologically, emotionally, you know, et cetera, that men and women are exactly the same and we should, you know, treat them exactly the same when in reality, men and women just handle and deal with things differently. And one of the biggest questions that I get a lot from women who follow me on Instagram, for example, is why don't more men go to therapy? Why won't my husband go to therapy? How come my boyfriend won't, you know, hire a coach or see a therapist? And, you know, I think what we often don't look at is that for a lot of men, they look at the therapeutic industry and they see that it's very feminine oriented and very female dominated right? So 85% of therapists are women. 
So it's a very small population of therapists that are actually male. And so there's this representation piece of like, well, if I'm going to go see a therapist, am I going to be interacting with somebody that actually understands me? Now, that doesn't mean that women can't be exceptional therapists to men. I'm not saying that, but that is an issue. And for a lot of men, what's actually required is to go and do one thing. It is to go and repair your relationship with masculinity and men, because the reality is that most men are carrying wounds around their masculinity and with men, right? If your father was abusive, if your father wasn't at home, if your father was neglectful, I mean, the data and the research is in that that is one of the single most impactful things on a young boy and a young man's development, psychologically and emotionally. And so for men, it is incredibly healing and rewarding and expansive and you know all the words to be in a community of men where there's just this kind of radical transparency and there's mm-hmm. no bullshit you know it's there's just no bs it's not sugarcoating stuff it's not you know i think there's a lot of communities i think a lot of men have this perspective that they're going to go and join a men's group and it's going to be really fruity fluffy language and yeah. for the most part that's not the case it's guys talking about you know how they lost their $5 million company, you know, and it collapsed and it almost broke them. It's guys talking about, you know, getting divorced and having their kids taken from them and half of their net worth and how they've been devastated and contemplating suicide. You know, it's guys talking about real issues and problems in their life and getting real clear feedback and real clear experience that other men have already gone through. And so, you know, I think in our culture, we've just devalued the masculine to some degree. And even we as men have bought into this. We've devalued male role modeling to such a degree where we actually just don't seek it out anymore. And, you know, I advocate for it all the time because it's really one of the things that saved my life. Having an older, wiser, more experienced man in my life really helped me to write the ship. And I've been so fortunate because since that moment, I have had some phenomenal men that have come into my life that have had a tremendous amount of experience and that camaraderie and that brotherhood, there's a kind of sustenance and nutrition that I think that we as men need and require within those relationships to help us navigate, you know, becoming fathers and dealing with mortgages and understanding relational dynamics with our partners and, you know, all the things. But when we buy into this notion that we can do it all by ourselves, it's just a house of cards that will fall. Yeah. I was actually thinking, getting ready for our interview, how I feel like the men's, I hate calling it like self-help, but I will just use it for a broader term, but the the male self-help world has I mean, hopefully you agree, like drastically improved because I feel like there was a time where it was all make more money. Like this is how you hustle. This is, you know, this is how you win at life and all of that stuff. And it's really come to more of a medium point, like you said, where it's you're talking about real stuff, not just surface level, but it's also not in the way that women need to hear it. Because I mean, to be honest, like we even in. AA, some there's like always jokes of how like a female sponsor will work with a girl versus like a male sponsor. It's very different, but like it works for mm. both people. So I think it's really important that there is there are differences in how we need to receive help. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example. There's a study done in the UK. Because one of the things that I hear all the time is like men just need to open up more. And men just need to be more vulnerable. And there's this, I, again, I wrote about this in the book, I, I called it the myth of male vulnerability, that that there's a real risk for men to open up. And even when men do open up, it's oftentimes misunderstood or, or they feel judged for it. And so there was this big study that was done in the UK looking at men who had taken their own lives. And what they found was that 92% of men who committed suicide were in therapy. Okay. So they were already seeking help. They were already in therapy or working with a psychologist. And of those 92%, 80% of them were deemed no risk of suicide or low risk. So there's clearly a misinterpretation of what men are dealing with and a misrepresentation of how we can go about navigating that. 
one of the big issues that I see within modern therapy and psychology is that it puts this massive, massive emphasis on expression over competency and over capability and over some of the real life pigeonholes that men can find themselves in. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes what will happen is a man will go into a therapeutic environment and he'll start expressing himself. And that's, I'm not downplaying that. That's incredibly important, right? It is so important for so many people, men and women alike, and everybody in between. But one of the things that I've come to know is that for a lot of men, they want to contribute. They want to feel like they have value and purpose and meaning in life. And they want to be able to feel competent in some area of their life. And that is almost always completely overlooked within the therapeutic industry. And so guys can come in and be saying, Hey, you know, my life is really hard for this reason and that reason. And, you know, this is going on in my marriage and my relationship. And he'll be asked questions to open up and that will help to a certain degree. But what's actually going on behind the scenes is is something much deeper, which is the man saying, I don't feel like I have value in my relationship because I feel like a failure all the time, AKA, I do not feel competent or capable as a husband or as a father. And that's a very different thing than tell me about how you're feeling about being not capable and not competent, Hmm. right? What he's actually saying is I need help building some systems and some structure in my life to feel more capable and more competent to be a better father, to be a better husband, to earn more, to provide. So I think that those things are incredibly important. So hopefully that somewhat addresses what you were talking about. Yeah, that is a shocking study. And I don't think anyone would ever assume that would be the result that 92% of people were in therapy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes against what we think is like, as long as you're in therapy, as long as you're talking about it, as long as you're not isolating, like you're okay. But clearly that's not the case. And I want to make sure we touch on breakups. So I asked my community, like, what, what assumptions do you have about men going through breakups? And I just pulled one that, that this woman said, why does it seem that men are not upset by breakups? They are not obsessing over the details about it. Like women are, and they are able to move on no problem. And I feel like a lot of people had very similar ones, but those are kind of the the key points. Could you maybe speak to why it appears that way? And then maybe what's really going on underneath the surface? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's interesting because I think, you know, my experience of a lot of men on the other side of that is the exact opposite. that I have worked with literally thousands of men that have gone through breakups and divorces who are devastated, don't know how to get past it, can't seem to move on. How do I get over her? How do I get past the relationship? It's been nine months. I can't stop you know, crying. I can't stop thinking about the relationship. I can't stop all of it. So I just want to say that very clearly and directly. And I have literally worked with tens of thousands of men over the last decade from around the world. And that's a very common thing. So just so that's on the record. Yeah. I also want to say that I don't believe that either. I I get messages from men all the time. (laughs) That is very not the case of they're, they're very devastated. Here's why it might appear like that. Okay. A lot of men are much more sharp in their decision-making process and linear and compartmentalized. And so if a man feels heartbroken and he's tried to, you know, win you back, or maybe he hasn't tried that at all. You know, maybe it's just like, there's a breakup that happens and it seems like he just checks out. What can happen is that man will close off and cut all relational ties as a means of protection, as a means Mm -hmm. of self-preservation. So I see that to be very common for a lot of men. It's like, oh, this relationship is over. I'm devastated. I don't want my you know, X to see that. And so as a means of self-preservation, I'm going to pull in all the nets. So I don't want any connection. I don't want any conversation because that's too hard for me to, to deal with. And I'm going to just move forward. And I'm going to deal with this by either busying myself and, and making it look like I'm just moving forward and moving on with my life, which maybe some guys do. But the majority of guys, it's a it's a self-protection and self-preservation 
mechanism where we pull in the nets, we cut all ties, and we try and move forward as quickly as possible. Because again, strength and suppression. The notion is move quick, move fast. Don't deal with what you're actually feeling with, you know, like feeling and try and create like an escape velocity as quickly as possible (laughs) so that the grief that's bubbling up and the sadness that's bubbling up and the confusion and the frustration and the disappointment that like you can just run away far enough and fast enough from that. And so I think in many ways, that's why it appears for a lot of women, like a man just sort of, you know, drops anchor and, you know, or pulls up anchor and then screws off and is just like over the relationship. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But I do think that there are some cases where a guy has likely been checked out of a relationship and then it ends and he moves on like that, you know? And like, I remember I, I ended a relationship right before the relationship that I'm in now with my wife, where, you know, we had been working on the relationship for months towards the end and it was tumultuous. And I had reached a place several months before the end of the relationship where I was done. You know, we were going to therapy. We were talking about the relationship. I was like, I don't think this is working. It's not working for me. I'm not happy. I don't think I want this anymore. And then, you know, I moved her out into her own place and ended the relationship. And I was because I had been done in the relationship months before that, I think for her, it was very challenging because I moved on very quickly, but that's because I was out of the relationship. And I hear men experiencing that with women all the time, you know, that especially when you look at divorce rates, right? Like 75% of divorces are initiated by women. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the times I hear men talking about like, how is she dating another man already? It's yeah. like, well, she initiated divorce, right? She's wanted out of the relationship probably longer than you care to admit or yeah. that she cares to admit to. So I, I think it goes both ways, but I would just say self-protection and self-preservation is the main piece. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And the last question I wanted to ask you was a statistic that I think I saw on your website, but the idea that 66% of young men right now are single. I know you had him on your podcast too, but I listened to another podcast with Scott Galloway on that and Mm -hmm. thought, and I know he mentioned that too. Could you just, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? That's like, that's (laughs) a very stark statistic. It's a really big, somewhat, there's a lot of factors that play into that. So I'll try and condense it down. Okay. Number one, it was for men between 18 and 29, 66% of them haven't been sexually active and are single in the last in the last 12 months. What's starting to happen is a couple of things. Number one, dating apps very much over-prioritize female selection. And so women have the final say, Tinder, Hinge, Bumble. Women are, it's about women's selection preferences. And so women's selection preferences have been very much are manifesting in these dating apps where you know, on Tinder, for example, there was a study done where if you took 50 men and 50 women, 45 of the women would go after five of the men. So you have 90% of women going after four or 5% of the men. And then you have the rest of the men sort of all vying and scrapping for like the other, you know, five, five or six women. So there's this very interesting skew that has started to happen, right? And if you look at something like Tinder data or Bumble data, the bottom 50% of men literally do not get conversations they don't get engaged with, they don't get swipe backs. Like it's really brutal. It's like really, really brutal. So a lot of young men are going on these dating apps and becoming very disenfranchised because they can't get conversations. They can't meet up with the woman, you know, they're not going on dates. And so they're just kind of checking out from relationships entirely. That's one part that I start to see happening too. You know, I think a lot of younger women, in that same age bracket, 18 to 29, are dating older men. That shows up in the data quite a bit, where because a lot of young women, when they start to get to like close to 30, they're looking for men that are a little bit more established, you know, guys that have a career in place, maybe have some financial security, et cetera. And so you're probably not going to find that in a 25-year-old guy who's, you know, trying to finish his master's degree or in college or whatever he's doing, right? He's working at trade, et cetera. And so a lot of younger women are starting to date older men statistically. And so that's another big piece that's taking away mm-hmm. from the dating pool for young men. And then 
I think there's this more problematic piece, which is the checking out of young men from culture and society almost entirely. So we have the highest number of men that are working age that aren't working. There's 7 million men between 24 and 55 that aren't working, but are eligible to work, right? 7 million. You have less young men between 18 and 29 dating, less young men in that age bracket having sex, and more young men in that age bracket, 18 and 29, living at home than with a significant other. The last thing is you have less young men going to college and university than ever before in recorded history in America, statistically, right? From a percentage mm-hmm. wise, there's still a number of men that are that yeah. are going that's larger than like, you know, 1905. But so there's just kind of like this pulling out and this mass exodus from culture and society with young men. And, you know, I think it's really impacting the dating pool. I think that within the dating realm, there's a tremendous amount of frustration. You know, I just, I see comments and people DM me, you know, see comments on my YouTube channel and stuff like that. A lot of young guys do not see the value in a relationship, in like a long-term relationship when they can focus in on career, their bodies, you know, acquiring stuff because in some ways, and this is sort of the hard part. There's been a lot of research that's done that's now out online that shows that one of women's primary selection preferences are men that have resource acquisition capacity, meaning men that can acquire social status, men that can acquire the resources of finances or career. And so a lot of young men have it in their head that they can't get a good, healthy, viable, long-term relationship until they acquire some type of very stable financial position and Mm -hmm. then they'll be able to go and date. So I think it's a number of things all sort of smashed together. (laughs) It's a bit of a mess, but I do think that it's one of the things that we're starting to see people talk about because when you have a surplus of young men that aren't working, that aren't dating, that are living at home, that's that's not good for the economy. It's not good for the future of the country. It's not good for women. It's not good for young men. It's just not good all around. And so I think it's starting to gain more more momentum within the modern conversation for sure. Wow. That's so interesting. That is that Tinder study. I feel like I heard that on another podcast, maybe Scott talked about it, but that is crazy to think about. 45. Yeah. Because what has happened is that there's a small percentage of men, probably five to 7% of men that are on Tinder that clean up and they're dating the majority of women. They're having sex with the majority of women. And what's starting to happen is that a lot of women are in these kind of pseudo relationships. So a guy, you know, on Tinder might have three or four women that he's quote unquote dating. She thinks she's in a relationship with him, but he's in a quote unquote relationship with three or four other women. And that is becoming way more sort of prominent and popular due to just the nature of these dating apps. And so, yeah. yeah. And so I think it's frustrating for a lot of young men when, you know, they're hanging out with their buddies and there's like the one guy who has a date every single night of the week with seven different women. And then he's on the app swiping right to thousands of women and not getting any responses. Right. And so then they're just like, well, screw it. Then I'm not going to bother. Yeah. I feel like more anecdotally, the amount of friends that I have that end up in these, I mean, I guess you call them like situation, situationship (laughs) kind of things of like, yeah, I'm like, you're dating, like you're giving them a lot of dating benefits, but I'm like, you know, you're not in a relationship with them. And, And I feel like I hear from a lot of people of like, I'm dating this person, they won't commit you know, they like what's happening now, but they don't know what's going to happen in the future. So, I mean, my husband's 10 years older than me. I can see why women do date older. And even my husband, we didn't get married until he was almost 40. So it's like, I can Mm. see that in my own life of, you know, it just feeling like they need to have certain things together before they can really 
provide that relationship. But this has been all so interesting. I feel like I could continue talking to you, but I'm just so appreciative of your time. And I would love if you could share with everyone where they can find your book. Maybe if there are men on here that want to work with you, how they can do that. Yeah. I mean, you can just go to mantalks.com. That's the website. My book's on there. It's called Men's Work. Even though it's called Men's Work, I've had a ton of women read it and love it and really understand men at a much deeper level. But with that said, it is a book for men, from men, and about men. So yeah, you can find that on the website or Amazon, depending on wherever you are. And then yeah, all of our live weekends and events, and we have a virtual men's group called the Alliance, where we've got 500 plus guys from around the world that are a part of that membership. So you can check all that out on mantalks.com. And then yeah, check out me on Instagram or YouTube, whichever one you like, it's just at man talks pretty much everywhere. And then you have your podcast too, which is also man talks. Yeah. Well, I'll link all that in the show notes, but thanks so much, Connor. It's been awesome. I've learned so much from this, so I'm excited to, for everyone to hear it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie, where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.